Welcome to the Good Confession Podcast. Three pastors spend about 20 minutes going through the Westminster Confession of Faith and other Reformed Confessions, section by section. We love the Word of God, and we think these are faithful summaries of what the Scriptures teach. Hopefully you'll be enlightened as you listen and have fun with us. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to our show. Uh, This is Pastor Shane from Reformation OPC, a church plant in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, With me today are Andrew Miller, pastor at Bethel Reformed OPC in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and Pastor Jonathan Cruz, pastor of Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo. Uh, Good morning, fellas. Morning. Um, Today... We are continuing our study through the Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 1, and we are on Section 6 of that first chapter, which reads this. It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Neither we acknowledge, or nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the Church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rule of the word, which are always to be observed. Now that is uh, a lot packed in there. So I'd, let's uh, begin uh, taking this apart piece by piece. Um, Andrew, it talks about in that first section, it says, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in scriptures or by good and necessary consequences may be deduced from scriptures. Could you talk about that for us? Explain what that means to us? Yeah, I, I really like this. It's such an important um, important port point for our reading of scripture that um, the scripture says things explicitly. You know, it makes statements. Um, you know, Jesus reveals himself and Uh, so forth, but also the scripture implies things, and it doesn't quite say these things, but nevertheless, we should understand these things, and if we're not, we're um, denying what what God intends us to see, and uh, so, you know, one of the great examples that I've found um, that others point to is Matthew 22, where the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, um, are questioning Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're asking him that question, you know, whose wife is, is uh, this going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus uh, says in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So there, Jesus is saying, you don't even know the scriptures or the power of God. 
you're not uh, taking the clear teaching of scripture uh, about the resurrection and uh, you're therefore ignorant uh, of the scriptures. And so um, when we read scripture, we know that it doesn't just say things, but it also um, has these implications, these deductions. So a couple, I like that Robert Leffen puts it this way. He says, not only the surface text of scripture, but its implications and entailments are part of its overall teaching. The church fathers constantly appeal to the rule of faith in their preaching and teaching. Uh, one of the Scottish commissioners to the Westminster Assembly, George Gillespie, mm. said, if we deny the legitimate legitimacy of good and necessary consequence, then many absurdities will result, such as denying that women may come to the Lord's Supper. Um, <laughs> I was actually going to share that quote from uh, uh, Gillespie as well. It's, he, he goes oh, on to list more than your thunder. Uh, no, it's fine. But he goes on to list more than just that, just women in the Lord's Supper. He says, how could it be proved that this or that church is a true church and the ministry thereof a true ministry or the baptism ministered therein is a true baptism? Sure, no express scripture will prove it, but necessary consequence will. How shall this or that individual believer collect from scripture that to him, even to him, the covenant of grace and promises thereof belong? Will scripture prove this otherwise than by necessary consequence? So just to be clear here, what we're talking about, um, when we say good and necessary consequences, we're not saying that it is necessarily the word of God, but that logic flows from our understanding of the word of God. And we're given that to piece it together. together. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. And it, we're, we're affirming that um, logic belongs to God, that, uh, we, you know, our confession elsewhere will state that uh, being made in the image of God, we're created with true righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. Um, knowledge is an aspect of, of what it means to be made in God's image. And when we have God's spirit in us, uh, in, in illuminating our hearts and our minds to interpret the scriptures, we can be sure that we're on, we're on sure ground if we are making logical deductions uh, from other principles that are more clearly laid forth in scripture. Is that, right. is that fair to say, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say that the Bible does say these things. It's, uh, it's not that we're drawing them or putting them on the text. The Bible says these things. It just says it in a different way. So it's, it's saying it in a way that's more subtle. Uh, and like you said, you have to use logic. You have to compare the parts of Scripture, which is one of the, the other things that this, these sections of the confession get at, is that you're always comparing Scripture with Scripture. And that's, I think that's one of the points to note when you get to this. You know, like, you know, uh, when Jesus in Matthew 22 says he's not the God of the dead, but the living. Well, that's clear. You know, he's the living God, the, the God of the living. And then he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so I think I think it's safe to say the Bible does teach these things. It just does it more implicitly than explicitly. That's a good I think that's a good distinction and helpful, actually, Andrew. Um, if I could add just one illustration that I have always found helpful um, later on in the confession, we'll start talking about the covenants of grace and the covenant of works or the covenant of life. And if you go through uh, Genesis chapter one and two, and uh, you hear the word of God as he speaks to Adam and uh, calls him to live in obedience, we call that uh, particular 
action that transpires there in the garden, the covenant of works, um, but it's never called a covenant there in that particular text. We have to deduce that it is, but we do deduce it from other portions of scripture like Genesis 12, where we see God uh, covenant with Abraham or uh, later on in uh, uh, Exodus, when God creates covenant with uh, Moses and his uh, the, the nation of Israel. So there is this sense of uh, deduction that takes place, but it's always uh, based on and around other scripture influencing and, and really explaining that text to us as well. The danger of removing this um, doctrine of good and necessary consequences, we become what, what some would call biblicists, right? Which this idea that, um, you know, we apply our entire worldview to only those things which are explicitly clearly stated in scripture. And you can take that to some uh, ridiculous extremes. Um, but the, the Bible nowhere, I think it actually undermines what the Bible says about humanity and, and mankind. Uh, nowhere would, would suggest that we're not to use our human faculties, our reasoning when we, even when we approach um, a divine book, such as the Bible, B.B. Warfield, one more quote, we, we could probably move on. Sorry, I don't want to keep us, but B.B. Warfield says, we must depend upon our human faculties to ascertain what scripture says. We cannot suddenly uh, renounce them and refuse their guidance in determining what scripture means. This is not, of course, to make reason the ground of the authority of inferred doctrines and duties. That's really important. He says, reason is not the ground. Whether expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence deduced from scripture, but their authority, when once discovered, is derived from God. So uh, our, our human faculty, our reasoning is derived from God who reveals and prescribes scripture either by, and this goes with what Andrew is saying, God reveals and prescribes scripture either by literal assertion or by necessary implication. But either way, it's through scripture. Yeah, like, I mean, the Trinity would be another yep. one where it says it, but it you have to sort of piece things together that the Holy Spirit is a person, the Father's person, the Son is a person, and and these three are that one God, one, right. and and so forth. And um, one quote uh, from Robert Lethem is that this section of the Confession actually mandates systematic theology, which is kind of an interesting take on this. Um, a book I like on this is by Ryan McGraw on good and necessary consequence. And one 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 question of kind of one last question for, from me, at least. What do you think about baptism, infant baptism, and the baptism of our covenant children? Is that explicit, or is it good and necessary consequence? <laughs> I'm just having a little fun here. I've often argued, and I've argued it with, um, actually just recently, uh, I told an individual, I said, look, if we start with the New Testament, you'll never understand the doctrine of infant baptism, because the, the New Testament is ultimately silent. Uh, if you're arguing pro pedo baptism or anti pedo baptism from the New Testament, you won't come to that particular doctrine through the New Testament alone. You have to start with your understanding of covenant children from the Old Testament. So yeah, it is, uh, I, I would say you're right that even our doctrine of infant baptism is influenced by these good and necessary consequences because it's not just 
it is, and I, I love that language. It's a good consequence, but it's also necessary for us to try to understand the place of children in the covenant community in the New Testament. And how do we do that? Well, let's compare it to the covenant community of the Old Testament. What has changed? What has stayed the same? And so on. Um, but I think we need to move on here a little bit, unless there's anything else you guys want to say. Don't let me keep you from it. Um, but I do want to explore this sentence just a little bit more where it says, you know, the whole counsel of God uh, concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is uh, either expressly set down in scripture by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from it. Can you tell me what that's saying that um, we can find in the word of God? Um, in other words, what is explicitly being set down in the word of God for us? Jonathan, um, do you know what sure. I'm asking? I think I'm following what you're saying. I mean, it gives us essentially three categories. Um, the things that are necessary for one, God's glory, two, man's salvation, and three, our faith and life. Um, so the first um, scripture expressly sets down um, that God is glorious and also how he is to be glorified. Um, uh, or that he is to be glorified and worshipped. Um, but even there, there's a lot of good, necessary, we've already discussed, there's a lot of good necessary consequences that play into uh, how worship um, will look in, uh, in certain contexts. But that God is to be worshipped is clearly set down. Uh, man's salvation, right? That, that um, you need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then faith in life, um, I think we would take together to say how the practical outworking of our salvation um, is also set down in the, the epistles. The new Testament epistles are filled with not only the indicatives, which is what's necessary for man's salvation, but then also the imperatives, how we're to live in light of that salvation. Um, and so we, I think we, we can't ex say uh, excuse sin by saying, well, I didn't know <laughs> I wasn't told um, scripture didn't tell me that I wasn't allowed to do that it's clearly sets down what, what it's to, what we should, what our lives should look like if we're living in the light of the gospel. But it doesn't, uh, does it at the same time, you know, the, the negative is it's, we aren't to use, we're to use the Bible in the way it's designed. It's not necessarily uh, a math book or a science textbook that we can go to. Um, it, it has a specific purpose and intention. Um, Andrew, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to add that, you know, it's that it's necessary. And I think that it's also implying that it's sufficient. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 that we read in one of our last shows, um, that all you need is found in the Word uh, for faith in life, for your salvation. So you don't need to talk to some mystic and get some other information out there. Uh, but what you need is found in the Word of God. Uh, you're that, almost anticipating section seven there, right? Right. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear to all, which I'm sure Shane will get us into that soon enough. But it, then it says, yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned, but even the unlearned may attain a sufficient understanding. There's that idea of sufficiency. Right. Um, and it also, it, it gets into that idea of, you know, what Andrew was saying that, um, 
all things that are necessary for salvation are found in the scripture. And it will even say in this confession, uh, unto which nothing is to be added, uh, whether by new revelation of the spirit or traditions of men. Uh, and that particularly has uh, two kind of groups in mind. Uh, you can hear the shot across the bow against the Roman Catholic Church and how they elevate the traditions of men to be equal and on par with scripture. And they're rejecting that reality or that they're rejecting that idea rather um, as well as new revelations of the spirit, which would be speaking to the uh, Anabaptist movements of the day uh, or, or as we are more familiar with them in the Quaker movements uh, where, uh, you know, someone has spoken directly unto our spirit. Um, nevertheless, and this goes on, we, we have to keep moving on here. It says, nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human action and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So what is that talking about? Well, first off, it's saying we need the Holy Spirit to open our, our eyes and um, give us ears to hear the word. And that's different than new revelation, right? That's um, illuminating us to under illuminating the word so we can understand it. And, and um, you know, we're the, we're the ones that are, have the poor hearing and understanding because of the bent of our hearts. But then it's saying that um, there are circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church that you get from common sense, Christian prudence, you know, the light of nature is something the confession talks about at various points that mm -hmm. God made us uh, at, we're in his image and we have a conscience and we have an understanding of right and wrong and of people, uh, just that common grace. Um, and so, you know, like when, when do we have worship? Uh, it's not a matter of scripture. Scripture doesn't say you need to have it at 10 a.m. on Sunday or 11 a.m. on Sunday. Um, and so the timing of it exactly on the Lord's day and things like that are up to Christian prudence in the light of nature. It's whereas, best for a particular context and circumstance. Say that again? I said, what's best for your particular context or, or circumstance. Right. And to deduce those things from the light of nature is not, um, somehow lesser than deducing something from, the light of scripture as you mentioned light of nature is a phrase that will come uh, come come up uh, time and again in the confession and according to the confession um, it is it is on par with scripture in terms of um, revelatory power it's time about general revelation general revelation is not weaker than special revelation it reveals something different and it is not sufficient for salvation but it perfectly reveals what god wants it to reveal and so um, to say, well, I've deduced this from the light of nature, from general revelation, from common sense, it, that's, we shouldn't poo-poo that and say, well, you didn't get it from scripture. You know, if scripture doesn't speak explicitly or clearly on something, God has given us general revelation for a reason. And, and we should not think that one is better than the other. They are both perfect sources of revelation. They just reveal perfectly different things. Well, so for example, uh, calling a church service, we are to call it on the Lord's Day uh, on Sunday, but to call it at four in the morning uh, seems to go against uh, 
um, both prudence, as in who will attend your worship service at four in the morning, as well as uh, the light of nature, meaning the sun hasn't even come up at four in the morning. It's still dark outside, so we should assume that that is a time where we, that generally most men... Unless you live in a sleeping. farming community and That's they right. all need to get out there before they milk the cows. Right? Correct, which does happen. Right. Um, but that's particularly to the, to the different context you find yourself uh, within. Um, there are the two books that we talked about, right? General yeah. Revelation and Special Revelation. And then it, it ends there saying, according to the general principles of the word, which are always to be observed. So that goes with what Jonathan was saying, that um, where the scripture is not speaking clearly about it, then you're uh, understanding these things from prudence. So let's um, talk about uh, section seven here. I'll read it for us. It says, uh, all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, and so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other, that are not only the learned, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, and a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Um, and we started getting into that already with section six. I, they kind of, you know, you'll, you'll see this, that the confession just bleeds into each other. You can't uh, can contain it uh, one section away from the other. Um, but this section is dealing with the uh, perspicuity of scripture. Uh, Jonathan, you want to talk about that for us? Sure. Perspicuity is um, the most ironic word in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> it means clear and easily understood, and nobody knows what it means. But so it's talking about the, the clarity of Scripture. And what a relief this section is for us, um, even as men who have spent three, four years of our lives getting an advanced degree in the study and knowledge of Scripture— to know that God says, it's okay if you don't understand it all. <laughs> um, because we've all been there. We've all been there and have had trouble understanding certain portions of scripture. Even the apostle Peter gives us this, this reprieve right uh, in second Peter chapter three, where he, he admits <laughs> that, uh, well, he kind of throws the apostle Paul under the bus of uh, the bus. He, he, he says, you know, all my stuff is really easy to, to understand, but in second Peter three sixteen, he says, uh, Paul speaks in all of his letters, uh, and in some of those things that he says, they're hard to understand, uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. So, so go ahead, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask um, uh, for either of you to follow up. Um, what what should we do when we come to a difficult place of scripture? You know, so for example, we want to read the book of Revelation. We want to understand it. Where else should, what, what should we do as we come to a, a difficult book like Revelation? John? You should pray. I was not, I was not reading, raising my hand. I was pointing to Andrew to answer it. <laughs> you should pray. Um, you always want to pray when you're, when you're reading scripture. Um, and ask for enlightenment, but you compare it with other scripture and you want to go from what's clear. And so, you know, I, whenever I take people through revelation, I say, you don't start with the unclear. You start with what's clear. Um, you know, Jesus saying he's going to come again. Um, Paul Philippians three saying, we're waiting the return of Christ. Who's going to transform our lowly bodies. We like his glorious one. And, and then you go back into the old Testament and see all the things that are said there. And you link things together. Uh, 
with eschatology, but uh, that's getting far afield. But yeah, you want to compare scripture to scripture. Scripture is its best commentary. Um, and so you want to go from what's clear to what's unclear. I, I, I like Psalm 19 on this, um, that scripture makes wise the simple. It's sufficiently clear uh, that the most basic things that we need to know that the last section just mentioned, what you need to know for faith and life, those things are clear. And so yeah. when and you I think come to something that's unclear, you have to ask the question, is this really necessary for me? I mean, um, we want to understand all scripture, but we have to understand that there are some things that are essential. Right. And I think it's, well, I was going to say, it's not just that when we come across something that's unclear, you know, we're saying, do I need to really understand this? But more often than not, we're coming across something that seems, um, it confuses us because it seems to contradict something else in scripture. Right. Um, and it's that same principle that you've mentioned scripture is its best commentator. So what do we do when we come across something, um, that, that seems to be contradicting another place of the Bible is you, you favor that which is more simple, more uh, uh, clear, uh, that has greater perspicuity. <laughs> you favor that over the more complex, and you use that, in fact, to interpret um, that which is more complex. The body of doctrine that's in Scripture uh, as a whole will not be contradicted in any way by any passage. So if two or three different interpretations of a verse are seemingly possible, any interpretation that would contradict the clear teaching of another passage needs to be ruled out from the start. Excellent. Yeah. I, and, and you two both have addressed it, but my main point with bringing up revelation, especially is that there are uh, certain uh, trends within Christianity broader Christianity that will say, you know, we will interpret uh, starting with revelation starting with a, a very known difficult passage to interpret and then from there go back to the other parts of scripture and reinterpret it in light of this difficult and unclear text we want to reverse that and say you know, let's start with the clearest portions of scripture what is it that god has revealed what is it that he has made known and and how do we interpret that into the more difficult parts or how do we align scripture with scripture. And I love how Jonathan put it. They won't contradict one another. They will always uh, complement one another because as we'll hear in section nine, the right. message of the scripture is uh, not a manifold one, meaning that there's not multiple messages, but it's one message throughout the whole of the Bible. And because it's one message, it will all be unified in one way or another. So, yeah, Andrew, you were going to say something. Well, you know, I've been coming back to this a lot lately because I've been interacting with someone who's interested in Eastern Orthodoxy. And one of the big questions when it comes to Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism is that um, this section basically says that scripture is above tradition, you know, uh, that scripture is sufficiently clear. This was one of the great principles of the Reformation that you don't need an infallible magisterium, you know, this body of church interpretation because scripture is sufficiently clear. And so, you know, I, when I've been interacting with someone on Eastern Orthodoxy, I'm, I'm saying the gospel is clear, right? Justification by faith alone is so clear in scripture. You read Romans four, how, how do you not see justification by faith uh, in, in Romans four? And um, I'm so thankful that those basic things that we need, like the gospel, justification by faith, 
is, uh, is clear. You don't need a priest to tell you what it means. Thank you, Andrew. And I, I think with that, uh, we are going to wrap up our show. Uh, thank you for listening with us. Uh, we, hope to, uh, uh, we hope that you come out and listen for the next episode as well. Nice Great ending job. there, Andrew. Yeah, that was a really nice way to end. A perfect episode, but I think we are over 30 minutes. Yeah. I oh, know. Come on, guys. We all need to shut up.